Hey guys, and welcome to Overtly Casual, the podcast brought to you by myself, Dak, and my brother, Tyler. Today, we were joined by a very special guest. We were joined by Eric Anders, a rising superstar in the UFC, former LFA champion, and he's also a national champion under Nick Saban with the Alabama Crimson Tide. Uh, so please enjoy the podcast. Uh, reach out and follow, subscribe to uh, Eric Anders on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter as well. A uh, huge shout out to Eric for for joining us on the podcast today. Uh, everyone, thank you for the support. Please enjoy the podcast. See you. What's going on, fellas? Hey, Eric, how's it going? Good, good, good. What's up, yeah, Eric? Man. Not too much, man. Just uh, getting a rest before uh, next training session. Nice, nice. I figured we caught you in between training sessions and stuff. So thanks for coming on, man. We really appreciate it. Man, my pleasure. Cool, yeah, cool. Man. Before we dive into the uh, into the actual interview, I kind of want to give a shout out. I was listening to a podcast. You talked about your mother being in the Air Force, and she was a Fulberg Colonel. Yep, that's right. I'm actually uh, I'm in New Mexico right now. I'm not at Kirtland. I'm in uh, Clovis, New Mexico, right. stationed here. Uh, I'm enlisted in the Air Force, so quick shout out to your mother. And, uh, you know, I'm sure you took a lot of leadership lessons from your mother at an early age. Yeah, absolutely, man. Appreciate your service. Thanks, man. Thanks. Um, actually, so on this podcast, we talk about uh, leadership a lot, mentorship, growth, and development as a man, as a father, as a husband, uh, really because that's the journey I'm on and my brother's on currently. Um speaking to your mother and her experience and, and you guys, you and your family traveling the world at a young age, was, was your mother like the, your mother and father, were they the first people that you recognized as legit leaders in your life and followed? Yeah, absolutely. I think that's uh, any child, uh, you know, growing up with, uh, with, with parents and whatnot, you know, they're kind of the, you know, the, the ones that keep you alive when you're young and, you know, feed you and, and clothe you and, and provide for you and whatnot. So I think that all kids uh, look to their parents as uh, leaders and for inspiration. Yeah. Do you think that maybe, because um, I'm probably partially biased, <laughs> but I think that uh, folks with children and especially being in the military, it sounded like you had a, a big family uh, with your brothers and sisters and yourself born all over the world. Um do you think that it kind of maybe gave you a little bit of a leg up seeing how hard your mother would work? Cause it's nothing to the, when you have an 06 with a full bird kernels, like it's nothing for them to pull a 16 hour day, come home and be an active mother or an active father. Yeah, absolutely, man. My mom, you know, she worked a lot, but you know, she never missed a football game. She never, uh, we always got the football practice or wrestling practice or track practice or whatever on time. Uh, I think the biggest thing coming from a military family is uh, being on time and living in the civilian world. It's not common for people to be on time, man. Everybody's always, always late, whereas I'm always, you know, 10, 15 minutes, uh, you know, get there 10, 15 minutes beforehand. So, you know, there's just, um, man, for me, I think that's the, the biggest thing uh, is being on time, being punctual. 
Yeah, yeah. That's, that's, uh, that's pretty powerful stuff. And I could tell just listening to your other interviews that you look at things a little different compared to other people. Uh, so talking about leadership and talking about football and, you know, sometimes in sports and stuff, these two things go hand in hand as you meet mentors and things like that. And I heard the way that you talked about uh, Nick Saban in your past interviews. And I was just going to get a quick take from you on what you think his leadership style was like and, and how that impacted you going through your career as a national champion with Alabama. But I think the the coolest thing that Nick Saban does is he makes all the – like if you're going to uh, – play like if you're getting a significant playing time he makes you sit down with with a with the shrink we called him the wizard you know he was this old guy with white hair white, white stringy hair uh kind of looked like the uh doc from back to the future and uh <laughs> but with the, with the with the long beard goatee and uh come to find out he was a uh he used to interrogate pow's and in, in uh in vietnam and, uh, man, he really kind of changes his coaching style uh, per player. So you go in, you see this dude, and he kind of, feel, uh, you know, feels out how it is that you perform best. Uh, like, so Coach Saban, he'll find out, like, if he yells at you, is that going to elevate your game or is that going to make it, you know, make you not play as well? So uh, some guys he'll yell at because it's going to make him play better. Other guys he's going to – take a different tone of voice and go about it in a different way just so that he can maximize that player's potential. And I just don't see a whole lot going on, a whole lot of that going on in, in college football and whatnot. So uh, I think his leadership skills, uh, you know, correlate with his coaching skills and he's second to none in college football. Yeah, absolutely. He's got a great track record uh, for that. And I'm sure that he really impacted you and you already kind of answered this question. Like you touched on it, uh, and you told me something that I didn't know about you, actually. So I'm guessing that you wrestled in high school and youth leagues and things like that. So I was going to ask you how you got your start in martial arts. You know, coming from uh, a collegiate football background, it's not a lot of people can make that trans transition as smooth as you did. So I'm guessing wrestling was kind of the catalyst for that. Man, you know, I um, I have JV level experience. I wrestled like seventh, eighth, and ninth grade. Uh, and then we moved to a high school with uh, with no wrestling, so that was it for me. Um, but you know that was my favorite sport that I ever played growing up because you know football was fun and all it was cool. But man, there's just you know wrestling. If you lose a match, if you win a match, that's on you. Like you, it's it's still a team atmosphere. Like you got to have people to train with and get better. But when the competition came, and maybe I'm just selfish like that. I like it all to be on my shoulders. You know, it would. There's nothing that can make me matter than, uh, you know, we lose a game because somebody missed a tackle or because uh, somebody fumbled the football or threw an interception. You know, you just have to depend on people too much. So with wrestling, the only thing I had to depend on people was to show up for practice. And then when the fun part came, the the competition, the wrestling matches, you know, that was all me. Um, so after I got done with football and I kind of look, was looking for something to do, uh, not that's, I wouldn't even really looking to compete. I was just looking to blow off a little steam, get a little exercise, get back in shape and, uh, start doing jujitsu really, really like that. And then, uh, man, you know, I walked into a gym, sparred and fell in love with it. And I said, man, you know, I thought I can do this whole, do the whole thing. 
Yeah, this it's crazy, man. I watched some of your first fights, and on your pro debut, you looked like you belonged in there. Like, just striking, grappling, it all came together. And I watched the way that you progressed through your career. And I could tell, uh, I didn't know if it was, like, your college football experience or, or anything like that. I could tell that you had some experience on the mat, taking people down and things like that. But, yeah, that I think that wrestling, like, you put it, you explained it perfectly. Um, it's just like life. It's all on you. You know, I'm sure that in your uh, early years, just like with fighting, uh, when you go out there, it's all on you. When you lose, you take it on the chin. You know, they say like peaks and valleys, high highs and low lows. Uh, so when you have to take that loss, it sucks really bad. But when you actually get to win, it's huge. So it's cool to hear how you got that start in martial arts. Yeah, absolutely. You know, uh, you know, there's a little bit different between wrestling and MMA. Obviously, there's like nobody punching you or, you know, doing anything like that. But. You know, with wrestling, I mean, with both, you know, I take losses with a grain of salt. Okay, what can I learn from this? What can I take from this? Okay, do this, don't do that. And, uh, you know, keep it moving. But, you know, for the most part, I've always been uh, bulletproof. You know, you know, people always want to say this or that whenever uh, you lose and you're the greatest thing ever once you when you win. So, you know, I really don't pay that uh you know, I guess it wasn't so bad back then because they even had, like, social media and stuff like that. So, um, you know, I kind of just, you know, take it with a grain of salt. Yeah, Dak, I know that you're huge on MMA Twitter. So, uh, I've seen – I you told me about some of your interactions with people on MMA Twitter and how you saw them coming for Eric and his after his last fight. Uh, if you want to talk about that a little bit and break it down, how he takes it like a champ. Dude, Eric, I bet you're along the same lines as I am. Like, I've, I entertained the Twitter trolls at first, but after the fifth time that I was like, and obviously not to the level in which your people are uh, coming at you, right, the trolls, um, after like the fifth time of arguing with an egg, I was like, you know what, I'm just going to block the trolls, you know. <laughs> I'm giving up on fighting back with them. I know that uh, we had some responses to when I posted that we were going to be recording together. Uh, someone mentioned Richard, the accountant, and I just laughed my ass off. But uh, no, nah, man, I, I agree with you. You got to roll with it. And it's, you know, Joe Rogan, I don't know if you follow him at all. He speaks to it really well because he's got that massive platform of 300 million downloads a month. And he's like, man, I just don't uh, even, I don't even feed into the negativity is what he says. Like he doesn't even read it. Um, the bigger you get, man, the more dissenters you're going to have. And uh, I think you're like, Eric is keeping it straight and level and i'm sure you've got a ton of experience dealing with negativity uh playing on in enemy territory uh back during your your college days you know for the best damn team in the nation you know um and now you see the same thing i you probably saw it in the lfa i know you uh i think it was you said uh the first time you really got to hear people uh you know a couple feet away from you talking trash was it tuscaloosa you were fighting a dude in tuscaloosa Oh, uh, no, I was fighting in Montgomery. Montgomery, and, uh, that's it. Yeah, Montgomery, Alabama. Man, there must have been, I think it was my second pro fight, and there must have been maybe 50 people in the in the, in the the audience in a big <laughs> auditorium. And they didn't have, like, you know, in, like, the UFC or other promotions, they have, like, a gate around the cage that you can't get within a certain amount of feet. Nah, these people were, like, up on the cage, like pulling on it and yanking on it and stuff. 
you know, talking. So, you know, and then there was a break in the action. I think, uh, man, I may have accidentally, you know, need the guy in the in the in the nuts or whatever. So then, <laughs> like while while he's recovering, there's there's no action going on. There's no music playing, and it's just dead silent. And all of a sudden, this dude just starts talking, to, you know, heckling me from outside the outside the uh, outside the cage there. And um, I let it ride for a minute, but man, he just wouldn't stop. And so I was just like, man, you can get it too. <laughs> Dude, I speak to this all the time. Um, so, you know, obviously, just like the title of our podcast, we're casual fans. We're not people who have been involved in combat sports. Like, we haven't actually been in there like people like you. And that's why we're trying to get more people to share the perspective. Uh, you know, I, I want opinions from people who have actually been in there and have thr- thrown hands in the cage and stuff like that. So, uh, I've dealt with a lot of shit on MMA Twitter uh, recently, too, and I've spoke to this. I can't stand it. I can't stand when the guys are coming on there, and it's like, it's all the trolls, like people who would never have the nuts to make that walk and to get into the cage. So, can you talk a little bit about like what that walk is like and how intense it is for you and how you deal with the nerves? I know you talked about visualization, visualization a lot, but how do you deal with the nerves making that walk? Man, you know, um, I, I've just accepted every out, every possible outcome. You know, this is go really good for me. This is go really bad for me. So, you know, you know, it's not really something I worry about. And, you know, I've got plenty of competition, uh, plenty of experience competing on, on big stages and whatnot. So um, I like the nerves. It's not really like nervous, like, I don't know how to explain it. It's not nervous nerves. It's like, you know, your fight or flight sponsor is, is kicking in, you know. Like, you know, you know what you're finna do. You know what's finna happen. You know what the what the goal is. Um, so, you know, they're good nerves. You know, they're nerves that, that you need whenever you, you know, everything's heightened, man. You see, I see better. Um, I smell better. I hear more, you know, it's, it's weird. You know, you can actually feel like the, the primal side of the brain taking over once you're, once you're walking in there. Do you feel like, do you feel like Eric, that it's less of like a nervous shaky, but more of like, this is exactly where I'm supposed to be type feeling. Yeah, absolutely. You know, I, I love, uh, I love everything about the sport, the training, the traveling, the, the meeting new people, the actual competition part. Um, so, you know, um, you know, I love it. So, I, and you know, for me personally, you know, I think I was made to do this, you know, this is, you know, it fits my personality. Um, it's just everything about it. You know, I wouldn't change anything. You know, I, I just would like to do it more actually. Dude, you, when I was uh, reading up on your story and, and looking into your initial pro, you know, your pro debut and all the work you put in, uh, I have a bone to pick with the, the people that say that, you know, oh, he's a natural born athlete, right? Because what does that do? It stills a lot of that work that you've put in, those extra reps, those extra sets, the stuff you're willing to do that other people aren't willing to do. And you, do you imagine yourself as an extraordinary man who's doing extraordinary things? Or do you envision yourself as a man who is, you know, you could be run of the mill, but you are willing to put in the time, the effort, the study, uh, watch the film, uh, do the extra sets, run the extra sprints. So an ordinary man doing extraordinary things. This is the thing about me. Um, Everybody thinks that I'm just like this, you know, 
super athlete, um, just like a natural athlete. When I hear natural athlete, I feel like that's a guy like LeBron James who could just pick up a basketball and be good or pick up a football and be good. I'm not naturally good at anything. I had to practice. I think that uh, my body has potential and my the, my mind has the potential to do anything. And just like anybody else, uh, man, the more you train, the more you do it, the more thought you put into it. It's funny how much better you get when you actually train hard, practice hard, and do more than everybody else is willing to do. So I think to answer your question, I think I'm a little above average putting in extraordinary work. Uh, you know, I've just always been like that. You know, when I was in high school, people would bitch and complain about me being an overachiever, and I never understood the term overachiever. You know, I just feel like I was trying to maximize my potential. And all the people who were talking that dumb stuff, talking about overachieving, those are the same people who are, you know, you know, flipping burgers or, you know, clocking in, doing the nine to five thing. And I knew that I was never meant to do that. Yeah. And uh, to play on that, Eric, people really and you know this, uh, I'm sure you've been around family members who beat you down for being an overachiever, maybe not family members, but friends, teammates. Uh, people in the past who couldn't get to the levels that you were on. And, you know, I'm doing the nine to five thing now. I have a day job and you even encounter it in that. So I spoke on this in our last podcast. Uh, I'm trying to do go the extra mile to make sure that my future and my career and things are going to the next level. So for me, getting a workout in is key for that. I got to get that in so that, you know, I have that mental space. Uh, to work with that. So I was telling somebody the other day, just to relate to you on this, I was telling somebody the other day that, you know, I, I, in the afternoons, whenever I get home, I'm a little tired. I'm a little sluggish. It's not the best time to get a workout. So I was going to start working out in the parking lot uh, at lunch and just wipe off and stuff. And then you get those, you get those people who are always going to tell you like, man, people are going to judge you in your workplace. What are they going to think about you? You know, all this stuff. It, it's good to hear that even at a pro level, that you have to block out those haters every day, but it doesn't matter to somebody like you, you just go out and you grind. So that's going to be powerful for a lot of people and it's going to motivate them to get out there. And, you know, for me, you know, I work my nine to five at the bank um, and I'm trying to get out of that lifestyle. But while I'm here, I still want to get my workout in. So hearing your story, I'm trying to go out in the park a lot and knock some push-ups out, you know? Well, man, you know, people always, talk about man i gotta do this i gotta do that man i got the same 24 hours as the next guy and when i did have the nine to five thing man, i would get up at five in the morning go run work out do a training session or whatever i'd work out before work go to work come home not even come home go straight to the uh straight to the gym and so and train again so man, I, I just think that people overvalue sleep and, uh, man, it's like, I'm tired. I can't do this. Man, your body will adapt and adjust to anything that you do, that you put it through. If you eat a lot, what's your body going to do? If you eat a lot of, like, cheeseburgers and stuff, your body's going to store it, right? If you work out, your body's going to burn it. If you get used to not sleeping uh, as much, uh, your body will adapt and get used to it. You know, it's just people aren't willing to put in that. The, the hardest part is, is getting started. Once you get started, make it a habit you know, then, uh, you know, it be, it becomes not like a ritual, but you know, it becomes a habit and you can get up and you can do it. 
And uh, fortunate for me, I've just, you know, I've always been one of those people ever since I was a kid, probably only sleep three or four hours uh, a night. So, you know, I never required a bunch of sleep, but I think that your body will adapt and adjust to uh, anything that you try to do to it. Yeah, that's awesome, man. That's a motivating story. I think that that's unfortunately going to be a kick in the ass for a lot of people out there who, who lay on the excuses that only extraordinary athletes and athletes make it. And those people are one in a million. So for a guy like you who has done the nine to five, but still got after it anyways, that that's super powerful stuff. So uh, now that you've put in the work uh, and I know that you're still putting in the work now, you're still chasing that gold. But what does a day for Eric Andrews look like now? How are you spending your days? I get up in the morning. Uh, you know, I do about I get about three workouts in before uh, eleven o'clock. Uh, two days a week, I do uh, like a, a, a range of motion, flexibility type stuff. Uh, and I come home, I take a nap, uh, eat. I hang out with the kids, hang out with the wife, uh, take my kids to practice, and then, I, you know, I do another three hours at night. Um, I throw yoga in there as much as I can. Uh, and, that, you know, that doesn't include, include like, my, my road work, like running and sprint work and stuff like that. So, you know, um, I, I've sold out to this lifestyle. You know, I, if I'm awake, I'm trying to do something to, to better myself. Incredible. That's awesome, man. So uh, I know that you've seen Donald Cerrone on his tear since he's had his kid. Did having kids for you change your sports career or did it motivate you to be better? Uh, what does that do for you in your personal life in terms of growth? Man, you know, you have to realize that once you have a kid, you know, it's not just you. Like now you have somebody to hold you accountable or you have to hold yourself accountable for somebody else. So you know, it may seem like a fun or a good idea to, to go out and get drunk or, you know, go party, whatever. But, man, you got to put food on the table for the for the kids, not just you. You know, it was just me. You know, I could get by off ramen noodles and hot dogs, you know. But, you know, I don't <laughs> want my kid eating like that, you know. I want my yeah. kid eating good. So, you know. Absolutely. Uh, for me, I'm either at the, at the house or at the gym. Very seldom uh, do me and my wife go out. Eric, was was there ever a time uh, that maybe you, whether before your kids or after your kids, that you caught yourself prioritizing something a little too much? Like you were giving too much of your happiness away, maybe uh, in the gym or maybe, you know, uh, in unhealthy relationship with friends or anything like that, that you just caught yourself and you're like, man, you know, I went out and I had a couple of drinks and I came home. I didn't even get to tuck my kids into bed. Like I'm going to, I'm going to cut that part of my life out. Like, cause I'm speaking from a personal place where I had to, I recently had to make those revelations within myself of like, cause I have a son that was born in late 2017 and like, you know, I'm still young. I just turned 24 and you know, I have my son and my wife and I had to really have a come to Jesus moment with myself where I was like, I'm giving too much happiness away. I got a correct course or else it's going to go downhill, you know? Yeah. You know, uh, I definitely had to cut people out of my life. You know, you know, I would date girls or, you know, you know, why are you training so much? You know, why are you doing this? Why are you doing that? We don't spend enough time. Okay. Well, you got to go. 
you know, because <laughs> this this is my goal. This is where I want to get to, and nothing is going to stop me from getting there. Nothing and nobody uh, is going to prevent me from making that happen for myself. Because that's what would make me happy is to get to the, you know, make it to the UFC. And now that I'm here, what's going to make me happier is to, you know, win the belt. And, um, man, you know, my, my kids, you know, I got two kids. They're going to be 10 and 8 in uh, in July. So, you know, they're old enough now to understand what it is that I'm trying to do and the sacrifices that I need to make uh, to get to that level. Because, man, you know, I'm, I just want to put myself in the best position. I preach this to them to all the times. I mean, you can put in all the work. That doesn't mean you're going to win, you know, but you want to put yourself in the best position to win. Uh, put your best, in, put yourself in the best possible scenario to win. Uh, and not just fighting, you know, anything. You know, you want to pass the test, you got to study for it. You can't just show up on test day. Uh, you want to win a race, you have to train for the race. You can't just show up on, on race day and expect to win. So, you know, just getting them to understand your effort needs to have a direct correlation to your to your expectation. If you want to be a loser and not do anything, then don't do anything and be happy with having nothing. But if you want to be a winner and succeed, you got to do more than the next guy is willing to do. Yeah, man, that's that's the revelation that and I think that as we grow as men and as we grow as just humans through life, there are they can even be micro interactions with yourself, you know, but I have to kick my own ass mentally or physically at least once a day to like get it in line, get it in check and keep moving forward towards the goal that I'm trying to achieve. And I think that, uh, you kind of admittedly not to be too much of a fanboy, but you're one of my favorite fighters in this category of just guys who get after it in a way that is unrelenting that no one's going to stop you and you are on a legitimate path to chasing the gold. You know, you started out, it was a short, a short time ago, 2015, you made your pro debut. And a few years later, you're fighting the former champion, Lieto Machida and uh, you know, a controversial split decision off that fight, but just seeing the growth that you've made, it's almost like if I could compare it to another combat athlete, it would be uh, a gentleman who actually, I think he attended your pro debut, Deontay Wilder. It's kind of like that's it's that same kind of story that it you can't hear that and not want to get after it, you know? Yeah, and you know that and, and it's cool that I can just be me and conduct myself and handle myself how I do. Like I don't have to do anything that I wouldn't do. And people just kind of gravitate towards that because they see. And I think the people who like train at the gym and see me train but like, okay, he's definitely not the best athlete on the planet. But you know, like I was saying earlier, I'm going to do everything that I possibly can to prepare for a fight or put myself in the best possible position to, to win. Yeah. Do you have uh, do you have anything lined up in the next couple months, you know, when you're going to be fighting again? Oh, yeah, I'm fighting here again, again in about uh, two or three weeks in uh, Minneapolis, June 29th. Nice. Who's asked you whipping? Uh, his name is Vinicius. His name is Vinicius Moher. Moreira, uh, a Brazilian guy, uh, really fancies the jiu-jitsu, um, not much of a striker. Um, he's had one fight in the UFC, got knocked out by Alonzo Manifield. So, you know, uh, I think it'll be a good fight. I think the guys coming off the knockout losses, you know, they, they come back with vengeance, you know. Um, those losses can do one or two things, man. It can either make you better. 
or you know make you perform more worse. And uh, I, I just got a feeling that this dude he's gonna come out on fire, and uh, we're really gonna get after it. Yeah, man, I'm excited to see that. That's uh, anytime that you're that you're fighting. I know you're you have a like. It's crazy to see because most bigger guys that are looking for the knockout, uh, they telegraph it, or it's the only thing they're looking for. You're a really well round, well rounded fighter. Um, you can get back to your feet whenever you want to. You can take guys down whenever you want to. And something you do really well uh, that I love seeing is on the get up, you throw those knees, and uh, I think you almost you, you almost knock Leoto out with one of them, uh, getting back up against the cage, but. I'm excited to see that fight um, and excited to see you keep chasing that, that goal because you're still, you know, young in this game with a lot of time to develop and a lot of um, not not to knock it, but a lot of room to grow just based off sheer physicality and willing to do work. You know, it makes me excited to see guys in the roster that, one, are willing to connect to fans in this way, right? So you can really quickly become the people's champ and get those fights that you need get those wins and make a clear path to the gold. Yeah, absolutely, man. I, you know, I, I think I, I really do think I'm one of the, the fan favorites because everybody knows that I'm willing to fight whenever, whoever, just, you know, just send the contract kind of thing and just let me know when to be there. And, uh, and I think that's something that's not common in this sport now. Uh, people are trying to, you know, uh, not really pad their record, but, you know, they're not willing to, to take risks. Uh, like I am, um, and you know, I I really don't care. You know, I'm I'm willing to get in there and and do whatever with whoever. So, you know, I think the fans really like and appreciate that about me. Yeah, because the UFC sometimes can appear to the fighters um, organizationally as like a, a kind of like a scary monster of like, oh shit, you know, I gotta I gotta pick these fights. I gotta you know pick it well because who knows what's gonna happen next. We don't know what they're gonna do. And it's always relieving to see guys like that that come in and they're like, give me anybody. It's a uh, cowboy-esque, if you will. You know, that guy, he fights every other week, I believe. <laughs> but yeah. Yeah. it's uh, it's good to see, especially from the fan perspective. And you know on Twitter, you've seen it. People love you. Your reaction to the uh, Khalil Roundtree fight, I think, won over so many people with, with just your sheer reaction and, and how well you well you took it as a, as a growing lesson, not as something that tarnished you. It's either you win or you're going to learn. <laughs> yeah, man. You know, like I said earlier, I'm bulletproof, you know. Uh, and one of the things, man, you know, I'm five out of six. You know, I got five brothers and sisters, and I'm at the bottom. And there's no more hostile territory than hostile environment than a than a, uh, a University of Alabama locker room. So, you know, if you can make it in there, you know, there's very few things that people are going to say that, they're going to hurt your feelings, so, you know. Because they'll, they'll do it to your face, man. You know, you go you go in that locker room with the, you know, wrong outfit on or, or a bad haircut, you know, it's going to be a bad, long day for you. <laughs> so, so speaking of being in that locker room, right, so you, you're in the UFC now. I'm sure you've got friends that went to the NFL. Being around guys that – you know, a lot of young athletes come from nothing. At sports is really all they had, um, so they come from maybe you know not a not a wealthy household, um, you know, lower income, and you see them go from, you know, struggling through life. Their their parents struggling, 
to millions of dollars in the NFL or hundreds of thousands of dollars in the NFL, right? Uh, whatever, whatever it is, it's more than they had. Are you doing any like outreach to younger athletes? Do you have any aspirations to reach out to younger to explain maybe financial literacy to the younger dudes coming up? Man, you know, all, all the younger dudes that I, that I come in contact with, the, the number one thing I tell them before they get drafted is, one, you're just as ugly today as you were yesterday. So when, when you, now you all of a sudden have women flocking to you and doing this and that, don't, don't eat the cheese, you know. Enjoy yourself, have a good time, but understand why, they're, why they are around. And, and two, you know, don't spend your money, invest your money. Because you don't know the thing is with the football players, and I guess with all athletes, is you don't know when that when that clock strikes mid- midnight. You don't know when when the when the career is going to be over with. Could be ten years, could be two years. So, you know, you never know when that injury is going to happen. So, the money that you do make, you got to put it away. You got to invest it and let it make money for you, so that you never have to go back to where you were before uh, you made it. Yeah, Eric, I think you're uh, – I've listened to your interviews and stuff, and I've heard you talk about financial literacy and a couple of different things uh, for upcoming ad- athletes. And you, you've kind of seemed to be an advocate for collegiate athletes getting paid and all kinds of different stuff like that. I think that it would be awesome. I, I mean, kind of like Dak was asking you if you had any plans, but I think you'd be someone like a great advocate for these things to step up as a voice uh, for these people or to even teach these kids these different things, especially as a mentor. I think that you have the voice and the platform to do those things. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And, man, don't make any mistake about it. Like, I was, you know, uh, what I was saying earlier is I cut out all the people who, you know, weren't helping my life progress, and I added people who were. Like, for example, my wife, when she met me, man, you know, like I said, I was eating ramen noodles and, you know, living in a, a roach motel. And uh, she's the one who, uh, you know, taught me financial literacy and how to invest and how to do this and how to do that. So, you know, she was like the first woman that had more than sex to offer me. So, you know, I was man, you come on, you come on in, you part of the team. So, you know, <laughs> uh, it's just knowing who to surround yourself with, I think, is, you know, uh, a big issue for the for these guys. Yeah, that's a powerful lesson, especially for these young guys. Uh, young men or young women selecting a partner that's going to push you to be better. Like you said, a lot of people want to drag you down. Like, Hey, you don't got time for me. You don't have attention. Uh, When you can find somebody that is like-minded and you guys can share one goal, even if the other person's goal is more of like a support role to push you to be the best that you can be. I think identifying that partner is really important. And uh, it's good. It's good to hear you speak on that, man. Yeah, absolutely. man. I just seen a lot of dudes who, you know, they're with a woman uh, because she's good looking or, you know, for whatever reason. And it's just like, man, you know, she's arguing with you. She's fussing with you. She's messing up your your mindset. You know, she's she's not good for you and vice versa. You know, there's just toxic relationships that, you know, it, it's, it's not going to help your career or help you as a person. So why are you doing it? Why are you in it? Yeah, Eric, I see I see that exact thing, both 
uh, one, the financial literacy and two, the, the choosing of a partner. I see that in the military. Cause you got guys that like, I, I got so lucky with my wife. She's amazing. Uh, she's my teammate. We met in the military and anytime I'm doing something, some training, I got to go, uh, TDY to California, Ohio, Florida, wherever a deployment. She just the same thing. Every time she says, go do man shit. Gives me a hug and a kiss, and I'll see you when I get home. <laughs> you know? that, that, that is not common, sir. That yeah, man. Common. Yeah, and it's it's important, man, just to, to find someone that is going to help you win, you know. Uh, the financial literacy thing, man, I can only imagine what it's like seeing guys go from college to the NFL because you see dudes go from uh, 18 years old, graduating high school, to joining the military. They're making $25,000 a year, and all of a sudden they think they're rich, and they buy, this, you know, the 2019 – Mustang, trick it out, all that stuff. And, uh, you know, they give us enough classes on it. I just think we're a little too hard. Yeah, the, man, the, I don't know, man. Lucky for me, man, I've never been to, like, like cars and stuff like that. And, you know, coming from the military, you know, we moved every three years. So, you know, my parents, we wouldn't, like, they wouldn't buy, like, nice things like that because you got to get rid of it in a few years, you know. Yeah, man. Um, you see it all too often. But <laughs> speaking uh, about, you know, financial literacy, we've covered that. We're speaking of leadership in your youth, um, what is, you know, are you, what other work are you doing outside of uh, outside of fighting in the little time you do have? Uh, maybe social media outreach, stuff of that nature, trying to just build that fan base with the fans. Uh, man, you know, I'm 100% organic. Everything that you see on my social media, uh, you know, whether it be a fight that I repost or, you know, me doing something, that's me. You know, that's something that I think is funny. You know, I see a lot of guys, they pay people to run their, their social media. And you can just tell, like, man, that's not you. You know, that's um, – I think the fans see it too. I think the fans really appreciate authenticity. Uh, I think that's one of the things that I bring to the table is, man, what I say is me, what I do is me, and you don't have to uh, worry about or think is, you know, is there really a guy pulling the strings behind the curtains? Hell yeah, man. Uh, Eric, we have, uh, before we let you go, we have a, a couple you, uh, social media questions that were submitted. Um, would you be willing to entertain maybe uh, who you think is going to win between Justin Bieber and Tom Cruise if they fight? <laughs> Uh man, I think the the Beebs is, is is not. I don't know, man. Tom Cruise is like an ass kicker, man. That dude, surely he's learned something in all those action movies, man. So I'm go, I said the same and, thing. And I'm sure he's on like HGH and testosterone and stuff. So I'm, I'm gonna go with with uh, Tom Cruise. Yeah, yeah. Tom Cruise. He was a wrestler all throughout high school, and uh, he was always getting kicked off teams and moving around and shit. But his former teammates said that he was a really a badass dude on the mats at 130 pounds. He's oh, getting the, we're trouble with the Bieber now. Yeah, he's getting old. I think I think that uh the Beeps is gonna get TKO'd early in round two if yeah. that comes to fruition. It's that. You know, like I said, man, even the performance enhanced itself that I'm sure Tom Cruise is on to look like that. I think he's fifty two, right? Six man. 56, so he's damn near 60, and he looks like that. You know, I, I'm going to go, I'm, man, I got Tom Cruise, man. Same. And, and, yeah. and he's American. 
Yes. Hey, you got to take them. I was just actually talking about that before we hopped on the podcast. Uh, Dak called me and I was like, man, uh, Eric dons the American flag on his back every time he makes that walk to the cage, it seems like. So, uh, you know, I, I was curious. I, I had to look into it. And I was like, was he in the military? Was his family in the military? Not a lot of people do that. So it's super awesome to see you show that kind of pride. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, but um, all right. I have another kind of – I want to ask a question real quick. What did you think about Elias getting cut from the UFC? Uh, man, you know, I don't think it's as big a shock as everybody else does, you know. Uh, this is the UFC is a business and you know, their job is to put people in seats and make people buy pay-per-views and people aren't going to do that uh, with somebody running around just, you know, looking like they're drunk, you know, and uh, man, I'm not, you know, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not yeah. trying to talk trash to Theodore. He beat me. He went eight, three in the UFC, uh, ultimate fighter winner, you know, whatever, whatever, but man, he's just not an entertaining fighter. You know, when when him and I fought, they booed him. I went and walked through the stands to go sit with the family after the fight, and literally everybody that I passed said that I won the fight. So, you know, they're they're just not. He's just not a. You know, he's not somebody that I would pay to watch fight. I will agree with that one hundred percent. No, I also share the sentiment that you won that fight, but uh, that's neither here nor there. Quick take: uh, What do you think about Greg Hardy? Because you're a former football player. Uh, nothing personal, like nothing, nothing about his personal life. What do you think about how he's made the transition? Do you think that he's legit or do you think he's money's being pumped into his promotion? What do you think about him? I think he's legit, man. That dude's a, a, an all pro, uh, in the NFL, you know, and I think that's something not everybody talks about, uh, or talks about enough. You know, they always want to talk about his personal life, his past and stuff like that. But, you know, they fail to realize that, uh, man, the dude, is an all pro, you know? So you talk about natural athletes. Uh, he's one of them. And, uh, man, he's, I think he's only got like four or five fights, pro fights, two fights in the UFC. So damn near half his career has been in the UFC, you know? So, uh, man, you can tell like when he needs to do it in the face, I don't think it was malicious. I don't think he did it on purpose. I think at this point in his career, him being the athlete that he is, he's just going off instinct. You know, so he saw an opening, took it or whatever. So, you know, I think that um, give him a few more fights, give him some time to grow and develop, man, the dude has potential to be the champ. Awesome. Yeah. 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 I'm excited with this whole new ESPN film. Uh, like, I didn't those new, these, uh, I want more pro bowlers. I want more guys that would have went to the NBA, the NFL, coming over into mixed martial arts to give us those those marketing fights. And you might have the, the newer dudes that slip up every now and then, but everybody gets a second chance and we get to see a vicious athlete on display. Um, yeah. You know, those, those athletes that transition over, man, you know, the vast majority of our defensive players, uh, just because of that mindset, uh, I'm like, go, go get it. You know, there's only one, uh, Two offensive players that I've met that have uh, made that transition. I guess three. I guess Brandon Schwab was running back, I think. Um, but Justin Jacoby, Dustin Jacoby, uh, he fought in the UFC. He's he's fought for glory, and he was a quarterback. So when I when I met him, I was like, bro, you play. I was very surprised 
that a quarterback would make the transition to, to MMA. Uh, and then another guy who played in Nebraska, um, he was running back in Nebraska that trains up in uh, at Factory X in, uh, in Colorado. Uh, and both have had very successful MMA careers. So, you know, it's, it's cool to, to see guys uh, from different, from the other side of the ball making that transition as well. Yeah, man. Um, but we're excited. We're excited to see more of those guys trickle in, especially some more linebackers with that killer mentality come in and crush it and, and pursue that path to gold just like you are currently. Uh, before, uh, before we sign off, where can the uh, overtly casual – fans find you on all of your social media platforms to show you support uh anything like that uh you can get at me at on on facebook twitter instagram at eric anders e-r-y-k-a-n-d-e-r-s awesome man uh you christened the podcast as the first ever guest that my brother and i have had on collectively uh it's a new process for us and uh but you made it seamless you made it easy for us we really appreciate your time and uh you know actually coming on the podcast it's awesome man i appreciate you guys having me thank you